Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford. We're glad that you are with us today, uh, wherever you are. We are continuing on in our series in the book of Galatians. Last week, if you didn't get an opportunity to come and uh, to, to watch that message. Um, Pastor Jeff did a great job of spelling out uh, Paul's conversion, Paul's story, and the importance really of all of us uh, sharing our story as well as sharing that story often. But as we continue through into the book of Galatians, we are, uh, we're coming up on a passage, and it's going to be Galatians 2 starting in verse 11, so you can go ahead and, and flip there. Uh, But we're coming on to a passage that forces us to confront really uh, some of our own issues within the church. Uh, There have been numerous times over the course of history, uh, over the course of the history of the church, where uh, the church has elevated culture above doctrine. And this is what I mean by that. Christians have really always had the reputation of being hypocrites. I mean, the, 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 the name Christian and hypocrite really do tend to go hand in hand, specifically uh, with non-believers. And sometimes that title is deserved, but oftentimes uh, it's not. And so when, uh, when a tradition or culture that's being put forth by a believer is contrary to doctrine, we have to confront that poor practice. Uh, and that is exactly what Paul is reminding us all of today in the book of Galatians. So just to catch us up, Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians uh, because the real gospel is about Jesus alone. That really is why we're calling this series Jesus plus nothing. He saves us by his grace without our effort. It's Jesus plus nothing. But what's hard for us to accept and what's hard for us to uh, be able to believe is that we really don't have to do anything. And over time, it's possible for us to start adding things to our Christianity that actually destroys our Christianity. This happened in Galatia. False teachers came in after Paul uh, left and started spreading the gospel of Jesus plus circumcision, also known as Jesus plus the law, that they were saying the way to heaven, the way to being justified uh, to God uh, was to accept the grace of Jesus while adding obedience to the law of Moses. Um, we, we spent a whole lot of time on that in week one. If you're a little bit confused on some of that language, I'd encourage you to go back and watch week one of our Galatians series. Um, but we saw in chapter one, Paul's defense of the gospel and his gospel ministry. Chapter two uh, really does continue that conversation and the passage we come to today is one of the most tense passages in all of the New Testament. It says this, it's Galatians 2, 11 to 14. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, the apostle Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Those are the Judaizers that we talked about back in week one. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So again, once again, this is one of the most tense and kind of dramatic episodes in the entire New Testament. Here are 
two leading apostles of Jesus Christ, Peter and Paul, kind of face-to-face in complete and open conflict. Paul even says, hey, I address this in front of everyone. So when Paul visited Jerusalem, Peter, who was also with James and John at that point, gave him the right hand of fellowship. When Peter visited Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face. So this exchange between Peter and Paul shows us what happens when the gospel culture that we're creating goes against the gospel doctrine that we believe. So it's possible to unsay with our actions what we say with our mouths. That's hypocrisy. It's, it's common, and every time it happens, it's a disappointment to those people that are around us. But inside the church, it's even more of a disappointment. It's heresy, really. It's, it's a denial of the good news. It's a refutation of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul opposes Peter to his face. It wasn't that Peter was merely following a preference. He preferred to do this instead. Peter was actually sending a statement to everybody. He was telling the Gentiles, there's, remember, two groups of people. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Okay, so Peter is telling the Gentiles in Antioch that they could not be set right with God unless they were going to abstain from certain foods. That's really what his actions were telling. He was adding law on top of grace. It was Jesus plus law. Jesus plus the law of Moses. And that erases Jesus' grace then entirely. Peter wasn't just mistaken. Peter was actually out of step with the true gospel. And that's why Paul confronts this so, so viciously. Peter knew better. Right, in Acts chapter 10, he received a vision in which Peter was commanded to rise, he was commanded to kill, and commanded to eat all kinds of animals. He didn't understand it at first, but God told him that, that what he had made clean do not call common. According to the law of Moses, certain animals were clean and certain animals were unclean. Certain, the unclean animals, they weren't supposed to be eaten. If you were Jewish, you were not supposed to eat those types of animals, but in Christ's perfection... God had freed his people from the law. And so because of that, they could have eaten whatever they wanted. And Peter was actually the one that Jesus showed up and told him to do this, right? So Peter understood then at the time that men sent by Cornelius, a Gentile, came and asked him to come to their city. Peter went in proclaiming, it's Acts 10, 34 and 35. He said, truly I understand, this is Peter, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So here we have Peter, the very guy who later on, Paul and Peter have kind of a face-to-face interaction where Peter is showing partiality. He's saying God does show partiality based on his actions. Right here before then, he's saying, you know what? God actually shows no partiality. God used animals to reveal to Peter who was a good little Jewish boy, uh, revealed to Peter that Gentiles are indeed acceptable, that the family of God, that Jesus' grace was available to everybody, regardless of what your upbringing was. Peter believed Gentiles were animals, but God says they're his children now. They're his children now. Peter's racism actually ran very, very deep. Actually, the Jewish culture overall ran very, very deep. Unless you're one of us, You cannot be accepted. It took nothing less than a vision of God for him to break the narrative that was dominating his mind. God shows him a vision. 
Peter believes that that is a vision indeed from God, and because of that, both Jews and Gentiles were allowed into the family of God. But that narrative, it still lived on in Peter's mind. That wasn't something that, that oh, he heard it once from God, and all of a sudden everything is a-okay from that point. So when Peter was in mixed company in Galatia, and this is what Paul is referring to now, he chose the path of least resistance, really to his own heart and probably towards acceptance to those people that he was eating with. He chose to separate himself from the Gentiles in favor of the Jews. You have Jews and Gentiles, and he decided he was going to distance himself from the Gentiles and just be with the Jews. He knew the Gentiles were accepted by God as they, as they were. They didn't have to do anything else. They didn't have to become Jews to become Christians. Peter knew that. It, it, they didn't have to do that any more than Peter had to become a Gentile to become a Christian, which is largely what the passage said before this. But what Peter knew didn't stop him from acting how he felt like he should act. And that's the issue that Paul has here. Peter probably had an excuse, probably condoned it in some way. He was probably thinking, well, let's not take the grace of God too far. And who am I to offend these people from Jerusalem? They're, these people, their, their feelings matter too. I want to make sure that they feel okay about this thing. So we should probably take the gradual approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take the gradual approach to avoid controversy. We'll meet in the middle somewhere. And this whole thing will just kind of blow over. My assumption Peter, is that Peter really condoned that in his head. So in other words... Peter chose not to keep in step with the gospel, but to, to walk in lockstep with the legalists, to walk in lockstep with the Judaizers, to walk in lockstep with the things that he was comfortable with, with the culture that he was comfortable with. But what was at stake here? Was it a matter kind of of degree? Was it a matter of process? Was it a matter of nuance or anything like that? What was at stake here was the same thing that is at stake in every church all the time. And the question is, is who is an insider and who is an outsider? And on what basis can we rightly distinguish one from the other? Now, whether we know it or not, that's a constant question that we are filtering through our minds. Who's in? Who's out? It's a simple question. It's not a matter of compromise. It was a matter of either or, specifically in this case. So either the Gentiles were insiders or they were outsiders. It couldn't be a little bit of both. It couldn't be one foot in both cars because eventually what happens if you have one foot in two cars and they're both driving down the road, you're going to fall out of one of the two of them. It had to be either or. Who was, who is a legit member of the body of Christ and what is it that makes it a fully approved, what is it then that makes, that makes us a fully approved member of that body? And Paul answered that question by looking at Jesus. So, what then does the gospel say? The gospel tells us that justification by faith alone clearly says that the blood of Jesus is, to, is enough to make anybody an insider. That's what the gospel says. Anybody. If you have put your sins onto Christ crucified, you're clean. You belong. Christ did it for all of us. If you, believe, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to the body of Christ. No matter what your background might be, no matter what your culture is, you are part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your politics or any other human identity. If you have placed your sins on the body of Christ, if you have said yes to Jesus in your life, you are an insider and it requires nothing else of you. You may or may not be mature. You may or may not be ready to be a leader, but Jesus says that you belong, whoever you are, wherever 
you came from. In fact, it's even, uh, I believe it's even more glorifying to Jesus when we have, when, when we get the opportunity to celebrate our diversity. That it, it, makes, it makes his inclusivity obvious to everyone. That it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come, came from, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter your political party, that we are all one under the banner of Christ. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, bring it all. If it's all sin, Jesus will cover it all by his blood. If it's unfixable, Jesus will replace it with something better. But if you're coming to Jesus with, with the empty hands of faith, he receives you. You have to bring nothing to him in order for him to receive you. So Galatians 15, 21, continuing on, it says this. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ not then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then probably one of the most, some of the most famous verses in the book of Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Being born a Jew, to explain this verse, being born a Jew provided certain benefits and privileges. Peter and Paul were both born into the family of God. Before Jesus came, they had to do nothing to be part of the family of God. As they grew up, they learned the law, They were taught what is clean. They were taught what is unclean in regards to food, in regards to ceremonial washing, all that stuff. They were brought up in the community of God's chosen people. But they knew that that wasn't what saved them. Jesus Christ saved them. It wasn't their obedience to the law. It was their obedience to Christ that saved them. And since Jesus made all of these Jews and all of the Gentiles righteous by faith, the same remedy could cure anybody, could cure any Gentile sinner. So in these two verses, in these couple of verses, Paul pits the false teacher's doctrine of justification by works, meaning that you can get to heaven by doing these specific things against the gospel's doctrine of justification by faith, which is simply in order to go to heaven, in order to be part of the family of God, you simply need to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your lips that, that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's what Romans 10.9 tells us. And so he pits these two things together and Paul introduces justification by faith alone in the greatest detail thus far. So Peter's actions here denied the truth of the gospel. Peter knew that everyone is made righteous based on Christ's finished work. He knew that, but he acted as if the law that set, it was the law that set somebody right with God. So what he said he believed did not match up with the way he acted. And that's why Paul launches into this really heavily doctrinal section here. What we believe must determine how we act. It has to. 
And when we act out of step from what we believe, we have to go back and remind ourselves of what it is that we actually believe. So, so if we were, in fact, justified by simply doing what the law, the Mosaic law, Moses' law, told us to do, we have a lot of work to do. The Jewish rabbis, they counted 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. So if you're going to be justified by the law, you have 613 laws to obey without skipping any and without falling short at any point. That's how you're justified by the law. That's a ridiculous requirement. Yet these false teachers, these teachers who came into Galatia, this is what they believed. They believed that you had to live the law perfectly, become Jewish, and then on top of that, accept the grace that's freely given by Christ. But Paul says it's impossible to win our own salvation. And that's what we believe today. It is impossible for us to win our own salvation. I can barely adhere to the rules of a board game much less adhere to 613 laws that are going to get me into heaven one day. But Paul tells us it's impossible. He says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified. The only way we will ever be set right with God is by the work of Jesus Christ. And this goes against every single instinct that we have as humans, and probably more specifically every single instinct that we have as Americans. Every impulse to earn, every theory that we have to attain that I can do it. Tell me what I have to do in order to achieve something. It goes against every single impulse. Instead, it gives us a view of God's love that we can only see, uh, only see in hints inside the law. So if God justifies us by faith, and specifically faith in Jesus Christ, it means that our okayness in front of God, our okayness before God has been taken out of our hands and placed entirely in the hands of Jesus. That's what this means. That's why Paul stands up to Peter. It wasn't like just simply a power struggle that Paul wanted to be the man or anything like that. That's why Paul writes this letter with passion. This is one of the most impassioned letters that Paul writes in any of his epistles. Justification is not just one doctrine among a whole lot of other doctrines. It's not on the same level as other issues. It is the issue we must get right to understand the heart of God. That's why there's a whole epistle dedicated specifically to it. Justification by faith takes us into the the beating heart of God's desire for each and every one of us. How much does God want his people? Enough to give them everything they need to gain him. That's how much God wants to save his people. The law was never the path to justification, by the way. It was never the final path to just justification. It was always the, the rule book of how to live before God. And now that, that righteousness has come. But in our sinfulness, as sinners... We take that law book and we turn it from a gift to God into the way that we get to God. And that's the issue. That's what this church in Galatia was trying to do. So rather than than saying this is a gift from God on moral living and how to live a pure and clean life, they have turned that from that to this is how we get to God rather than simply a gift from God. We looked at it and thought, you know what, This, this is a lot to do. This law is a lot to do. But... Here's how we can fix all the things that we messed up. Here's our way, really, here's our way to God. If I can do this, 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 and this 613 times, that's how I'll get to God. It's Jesus plus something at that point. But if we do that, we're pursuing a dead end. 
It's taking all the wind out of the gospel narrative. Instead, we should look at the law and think, gosh, hey, here's, here's God's kindness to show us how we can love him. God has done so much for us. He saved us. He set us right with him, even though we've messed it all up. For him to help us is to see how we can live now in, in a kind man, manner, how we can spread his love to other people, and how we do that, how we profess him to other people. So what do we take from this? Largely doctrinal, super heady. Uh, go back and watch it a couple times. If you feel like you need to go back and watch it a couple times. But what do we take from this? I think a few things are worth, note, are worth noting from this. Our mission for the church always goes back to people knowing about Christ and Christ crucified. That's number one. That's what the mission of the church always, always is. If we are operating outside of that or adding to that, 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 that we are helping shift the culture and understanding of what Christianity is in some way, that's a detriment to the gospel. If we're operating outside of preaching Christ and Christ crucified, it's a detriment to the gospel. To the gospel. So if you say that you are to love your neighbors, but your posture is not loving your neighbors, you are a detriment to the gospel. That's a real, real difficult thing. In the same way, and it's the same way that Peter was a detriment to the gospel. Because the doctrine that Peter believed versus the practice that he put forth didn't match up. And Paul called him a hypocrite. Paul, Peter was like the original hypocrite in that case. If you say the most important thing is for people to know Christ crucified and you're only talking about pandemics and murder hornets and not through the lens of the Bible, you're a detriment to the gospel. Not because of what you say you believe, but because of how you act out what you believe. Those two things have to match up or else you're a detriment to the gospel. The title hypocrite it hasn't changed in the entire history of the church because the culture that we present is oftentimes not the life-transforming free salvation doctrine that is laid out because it's always Jesus plus something else or we say one thing and then we do another and we earn the title hypocrite. And I say earned very freely because oftentimes we have indeed earned that title as members of a church. There's members of the family of God, more importantly. So how do we change that? Here's some very real ways that we can change that. We're back in the midst of lockdown, and regardless of how you feel about it, this is where we find ourselves now. So how is it specifically that we can, we can help change the culture of the church to allow the culture of the church to line up with the doctrine of the church? Here's some really, really simple ways. Shop local. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of small business owners right now who are really, really, really hurting in the midst of this pandemic. And there's ways for us to still shop local. So do your best to shop local. Don't go to big box stores. They're not hurting. They've actually probably gotten a foot up on this whole thing. So shop local. Find a small business. Support them. Give blood. Did you know that, that uh, the blood mobiles, I don't know if that's what they're called, and if it's not what they're called, that's a really dark name for them. But the blood mobiles, they no longer are going place to place to be able to, get to, to take blood. You have to actually go into a place that's sterilized to give blood. So their ability to get blood has been hampered because of this thing. So give blood. Support small businesses. Shop for a senior. Okay? You got senior adults somewhere. You know of a senior adult that's in your life. Maybe it's specifically your neighbor. Ask them to go shopping for them. 
Do something kind for them. Support King's Gospel Mission, okay? It's, King's Gospel Mission has a slew of different things all around Kings County that they, that they, they, they help with. It's a homeless shelter. They do recycling. They do on-the-job training. It's a thrift store. There's a whole bunch of things that King's Gospel Mission does. Search them on Facebook. You'll be able to figure out how to support them really, really well. So support King's Gospel Mission. Call someone on a regular basis. Okay? You got someone on your mind? Call them. I know nobody likes talking on the phone anymore or anything like that, but simply call somebody on a regular basis just to check in, just to see how they are, to show them the love of Christ. Send a pizza. Okay? You know where somebody lives? Man, just send them a pizza. That would be phenomenal if a pizza just showed up at my house, especially if I didn't have to pay for it. So send a pizza, but also pay for the pizza. Sing outside, and I put in parentheses, if you're talented. If you're not talented, feel free to sing inside. But sing outside if you're talented. You play an instrument, you play a trumpet, you got a cello, whatever it may be that you play, you got an electric guitar, man, put on a concert for your block glorifying Jesus in that way, okay? So sing outside if you're talented. Keep your small group going. If you're a member of a small group and you have people who aren't comfortable meeting at homes or anything like that, go online. Figure out how to connect with that group online to continue to encourage one another, right? Write a letter. It's one of my favorite things to do is to get letters and notes from people. Man, I've gotten so many letters from Sherry Nowak since this whole pandemic began, and it's an encouragement every time I get one. Beyond that, our kids' ministry, man, they are writing letters to all of our kids that we have addresses for. If your kid hasn't gotten a letter, that means we don't have your address. Call the office. Give us your address because these kids are getting letters and loved by their leaders on a regular basis. They're doing an incredible job by doing that. Encourage people online. Not encourage people online, but encourage people online. Okay? What is it that you are saying online and speaking into a digital world that is showing people your love for them, your love for your neighbor, so your practice is matching up with your doctrine? Encourage people online. And, of course, pray. Okay? If you are going through this entire pandemic and you haven't talked to God about it, if you're going through this entire pandemic and you haven't read your Bible at all to see what God's Word says about it, you're a detriment to the gospel. And we have to be in lockstep with what our doctrine is to make sure that we're in lockstep with what our practice is. All of these things, all of these things and more, obviously this is not an exhaustive list of how to love people well, but all of these things communicate a posture of love and, a trans and transforming a church culture into one that represents our doctrine. And that's what we wanna be known for, that our church culture represents our doctrine perfectly and it's not detrimental to it. It's not optional. It's what every single one of us are expected to do as followers of Christ. It's not optional. It's what we signed up for in the first place. And so you need to take a hard look at yourself this week and figure out what is something, what part of your culture is being created that is no longer in lockstep with the, doct with do with the doctrine of Christ. Get into your Bible, figure it out, so you can make sure that the culture that you are creating as a Christian lines up with our doctrine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, and we thank you for Paul's message here. And we thank you for this incredibly dense piece uh, of doctrine and, and this incredibly kind of strange piece almost, tense piece of doctrine where we have the Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul where Paul was calling Peter a hypocrite because of the things that he did. And God, this is nothing new. Christians have been called hypocrites for an incredibly long time. We continue to get called hypocrites. And Father, I pray that we would do our best to shed that title.
as we recognize that, that you have saved us, period. We have to do nothing else except place our faith in you, that we admit that we're sinners, that we're in need of a Savior, and we believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, and then simply choose to follow you, God. Lord, I pray that our actions, our culture as a church would be in lockstep with the doctrine that you've laid out for us. And if it isn't, if we are saying Jesus plus anything, we're no longer in lockstep. So I pray that you would, you would just take that from us if there's anything else that is expected of anybody else in order to become part of your family of God. It is not Jesus plus something, it's Jesus plus nothing. And Father, we thank you for that. And God, if there's those listening today who, who maybe they recognize that, man, justification through, like that's what I have to do. I don't have to become perfect before I follow Jesus. I don't have to get rid of all of the sin in my life and be perfect and follow the law, the Mosaic law perfectly in order to be part of the family of God. I want to be a part of that and I hope there are those of you that that's true. God, I pray that they would play, pray along with me right now. They would, as we finish every single service with the ABCs, that they would say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that. I fall short. And I know I fall short. But Father, I believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for me so I would be justified through faith alone, that it wouldn't be about anything that I can do. It is all about what you have offered me. I believe that you sent your son to offer me justification through faith alone and see I would choose to follow you every single day. That my actions, that the culture that I'm creating as a member of, of the body of Christ would be in lockstep with your doctrine every single day. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your doctrine. And I pray that we would indeed be in lockstep with it. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.